Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for joining in. It's our privilege again to welcome you and also to be able to journey together through the Word of God. We are still uh, learning how to walk with Jesus Christ in the crucible with Jesus. I would like to welcome our panel today. Hello, Ken. Thank you, Nick. It's always wonderful to be here, and uh, it's always a privilege to be part of the team. Good to have you with us, uh, Joe, too. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to be here. Will, thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick. I'm learning as we go. I would like to say hello to Jerry. It's good to have you with us, Jerry, the first time, but uh, always there is a start. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Nick. I'm looking forward to Brenton, thank you for joining today. Pleasure to be here, Nick. And for once, the sun is shining down in Mount Gambier and the sky is blue. That's really good. And Brent, I'd like to thank you for um, taking over this uh, Bible study today and prepare this. You are going to facilitate uh, this discussion. Uh, please take us through. Certainly happy to do that. Our study today that we're going to be uh, looking at through the Word of God is called Struggling with All Energy. And um, immediately when I looked at this study earlier on, I thought to myself, some key texts that came to my mind was one that Paul uh, states in the book of Colossians, where he says, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, that's Christ's working, which works in me mightily. Immediately, another text came to my mind, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my mind turned to this issue of what we're going to be looking at today. And this statement also came to my mind that I'd like to share with you. The tempted one needs to understand the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision, of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Desires for goodness and purity are right as far as they go. But if we stop there, they avail nothing. Many will go down to ruin while hoping and desiring to overcome their evil propensities. They do not yield the will to God. They do not choose to serve him. So in our study today, we are going to be looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us, first of all, to repent and understanding the right use of the will in the issue of temptation and being victorious. We'll also look at the issue of discipline and fighting temptation and the need to persevere. And uh, we'll be looking at that, hopefully, in the example of Jacob and his night of wrestling. So we have an interesting study ahead of us. But, Ken, I wondered if you would share a prayer. We really do need the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we look at this subject today. Thank you, Ken. Certainly, Brenton. Heavenly Father, as we join together again to study your word, Help us to put forward the lessons and guidance the Bible has for us all. Lord, the crucibles of trials and tribulations can be difficult for many of us to yes. understand and accept. But you have given us many examples in your word to help guide us through all that may befall those that are experiencing difficult situations in their lives. Yes. Heavenly Father, help us to put these messages across in a way that people can understand and take hope and comfort in. Yes. Knowing that you are always with them, no matter what they're going through, that Jesus is their rock of salvation and feels all that they feel, 
that he longs to take them home and that his return is getting closer as we see the prophecies of the Bible fulfilled before our eyes. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word and Holy Spirit to help us all in these last days. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Ken. Looking at the study as we get underway, I looked at a couple of things, and this statement really hit me in the face, Um, and it says this, while the Holy Spirit can bring us the truth about our sinfulness, he cannot make us repent. Now, if the Holy Spirit, who we believe is all-powerful, can't make us repent, where does it come from? So, Joe, I wonder if you could uh, tackle the issue from the point of view of a statement in the book of Acts, Acts 5, uh, perhaps if you could share that with us and give us your um, reflections on that particular text, that would be appreciated. Thanks, Joe. Okay, well, that's if we look at that text in Acts 5.31, it says, Peter, well, actually, I won't read all of it. Um, you can just so summarise we'll, it. I'll read, I'll read it from the 20. I think it's important to get a bit of the background yes. because yeah. uh, Peter here is addressing the Sanhedrin or the leaders in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and also their reaction is quite interesting too. So God is, uh, Peter is saying, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance. There's that word, to bring Israel to repentance and and to forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, verse 33, this is the clincher. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now, this was definitely not repentance, was it? This was God was willing, God was willing to bring them to repentance and to forgive their sins, but they were not. And so perhaps um, maybe we could just spend a moment on what is repentance. And um, most people would say, well, yeah, look, it's, it's, um, a sincere remorse and a sorrow for sin and a, a desire to change and to, to turn away from it, to overcome it, if you like. But I would add a different dimension, a slightly different dimension to it as well. And that is that true repentance hates the sin itself, not only the consequences. And I think that, um, you know, I think there's another verse in John. 3, 20 to 21, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So those who do not wish to repent prefer to hide in darkness, whereas those who want to be inspected by God will come to the light so that they will see. They will see their eyes will be open to the faults in their character or or the things that are wrong in their lives. So, yeah, that that should kick off some thinking. (laughs) Joe, you've touched on some good points there. Does anyone else have any thoughts on this particular one? Will? You stated something interesting there. While the Holy Spirit can bring us the truth, about our sinfulness, he cannot make us repent. Um, That struck me, Brenton, and uh, I think... It it did me too, Will. That's why I've got it in here. (laughs) Yes. In fact, I can remember um, it being drummed into us in the Greek vocabulary class 
the the Greek word for repentance, metanuo. And uh, we had to say it several times. Metanuo means turning around, turning around, turning around. And I'll never forget that. You know, I think we could define repentance as a deep sorrow for sinning against God or someone that we have hurt. And the evidence of uh, repentance to me is clear. In the Bible account of Job, and I read his words in uh, Job 42, verse 6, he says, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. That's 42, verse 6. Yes. Uh, The rendering rendering of Eugene Peterson's message uh, provides some verbal expressions uh, that Job probably had in mind. He renders it this way. He says, Job says, or probably thought, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise. I think that sounds like like us in true repentance, doesn't it? Uh, it's a good thought, Will. Um, Ken, you had a thought for us. Thanks. I actually looked up the Hebrew word for repentance, which is yes. Shema, yeah, which literally mm-hmm. means return, very similar to what Will was just saying. So mm-hmm. we say to repent means to return to a state of not sinning or a state of purity or holiness mm. when we truly are sorry for this, the, the sins or wrongs that we have done. And people receive repentance when they come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of their sins. As we read in Acts 5.31, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel. Oh, sorry, yeah, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Um, do you agree with the statement that Joe made earlier on that a true repentance is not only sorry for who you have wronged, but also willing to accept the consequences? Do we have any biblical examples of that? I think, Brenton, one of the things that we uh, we read in the Bible, uh, sorry, the Bible stories we read over and over, God is always willing to forgive sin. However, there's always a price to be paid for it. And although you do receive forgiveness, you often have to, uh, in a way, pay the price in one way or another for the wrongs that you've done. In other words, what you're saying, Ken, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that God can forgive you, but forgiveness doesn't automatically cancel the consequences of sin. That's absolutely right. That as as a panel, if God forgave your sin and it was like pressing Control Alt Delete on a computer, everything's hunky-dory again and away we go again, what would you actually learn from the experience of having been forgiven? You wouldn't learn too much, would you? No, I think, uh, as you said, Brent, it would become automatically that you would uh, continue sinning and say, well, it's no big deal, the Lord will forgive us. But when there's some sort of price to pay or, or something you have to go through, then it really makes you think twice in the future perhaps. Yeah, good thought. Um, Will, you had a couple of texts, I believe, in Jeremiah and Luke, which probably shed a little bit of light on why we need repentance. Joe touched on a very good point when she said that those who um, uh, don't want to come into the light because their deeds will be exposed. I think you've got some extra texts here that might help us a little bit to understand our true condition as God sees it. And in understanding our condition as God sees it, it will help us to understand why we need repentance and why it is a gift. Yes. It's interesting to understand that 
Repentance is a gift. It's a gift in itself. We don't just decide and then everything, as you say, is ankhidori. Um, we realize our condition, uh, repent, and then we ask the Lord to give us that change in our lives. Let me read a text from Jeremiah 17, verse 9, and I'm going to read it from a version which will um, immediately alert you that something is wrong. Yes, it's <laughs> like that in the Bible. Right. In, in one of the translations. Just listen to this carefully. It says, sure. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and then these two words, and the and beyond cure. Now, who can understand it? It says, this is one of the translations. Um, I don't agree with that. In fact, the King James has it right. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can cure it or who can know it? <clears throat> it's not beyond cure. God can cure sure. the mind that is uh, that is in trouble. Let me read another text, Luke 16, verse 15. This is Jesus himself speaking, isn't speaking it? Speaking well, now, yeah. yes. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so you can fool yourself, but only for so long, but God knows what's in our hearts. And thankfully, God gives us the gift of grace to change our lives, to turn us around, bring us to repentance, and things change from there on, uh, Brenton and Panel. Yeah. Notice that all these things, though, are gifts. Joe, you had a thought too. Well, if you look at uh, verse 10, just after the one that Will read, yes. it says, I, I, the Lord, search the heart. Yes. I try the reins. Now, the reins, well, in the old days, meant the kidneys, and, and it was believed by the ancients that it was assumed to be the heart of emotions, the seat, rather, of emotions and feelings and affections. And so here the, God the is... The motivating factor. Yes, yes, mm. the, the, the core of the being. Yeah. The, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. And so here, it, why does God try the reins? You know, why do we go through these trials maybe sometimes? And it's not that God needs to know what's in our heart and what the motivating, motivating, you know, things are in our mind. He knows, but he needs to reveal it to us so that we may know that we are aware that we are either willfully or unknowingly unaware of the dross or things in our lives that God would like to change for our present and future benefit, and not only for us, but, you know, how it impacts on other people around us. So when God is trying, when God is trying us, when God is trying the reins of our heart, if you like, it is so that he knows what's there. He's Mm. just bringing it to our attention. He's bringing it to light Mm. for our benefit. Unfortunately, though, Joe, in one sense, that still gives us the option, doesn't it, of either accepting the reproof and and turning away Absolutely. from it. Absolutely. Or just hardening our be, heart. We too could be furious. <laughs> we too could be furious, yeah. Exactly. Or, or just continuing on in a hard-hearted manner. Yeah, true. There is a remedy, um, and Ken, you're going to share it with us in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. These texts, whenever I read them, really challenge my thinking. 
I'm not sure how the rest of us feel about it. Thanks, Ken. I think, Brendan, the, the problem is sin has blinded us to our true yes. state. Yes. This is where the Holy Spirit shows us our sin, but mm. our need of the remedy, which is found in Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2, where it reads, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in view of what I have shown you, what will you do now? What does it mean to have our mind renewed? Well, it means to change our thinking, to focus on the things of God rather than on the things of this world. Mm, Thank you, Ken. Uh, Can I throw another one out there? This change takes place in different rates with different people depending on our circumstances and our relationship with the Lord. Do you think that that's around the mark? Yes. In other words, God doesn't change us all at the same rate in the same way. Depending on where we are in our relationship with the Lord, he's able able to do, I believe, either more or less, depending on how reserved or surrendered we are to the Lord at any given time. That's right. Sometimes we can can really slow down the process and bring it to a stop. Yes. (laughs) I think, Brendan, one one of the things that we all notice, of course, is that when we come to the Lord, we're on a journey. I think sometimes yes. people believe when you come to the Lord, there's a magic wand as we have to point you and you're supposed to become perfect and change, but that's not the case. We all have different temperaments uh, and different uh, uh, thoughts and what have you, and it's a journey that we're on, and some of us get perhaps to a better stage sooner than others, but it is a journey that we all travel. It is, yeah. Uh, Will, you had a thought for us too. I think, Brenton, when we talk about sin and about needs and so on, let's never forget the overriding concept that God is keen to save every single person. In fact, our great need is itself an argument that pleads most eloquently on our behalf. God hears or knows our understanding, he knows our hearts. And I think that he will lead us to repentance if we will allow him. Yes, that's very, very true. Isn't it interesting, though, those of you who have had the privilege of sharing the word of God with people and seen them accept Jesus and uh, want to be baptised, one of the things that I find as a minister that I share with people that I'm studying with and who are preparing for baptism is that... um, As you said, Ken, when a person is baptised, it's the start of a new life. Your old life is buried under the water and your new life begins with Christ. However, that doesn't mean that from then on that you were completely sinless. (laughs) Because, and this is unfortunately true of every single person who ever enters the baptismal font and is baptised, when you're baptised, the devil is not happy. (laughs) And therefore, the temptations he will throw at you through various avenues are such. And I always warn people of this fact. I say, when you are baptised, it will be the most wonderful experience of your life. However, you need to cling to Jesus. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I always pray for a person before I baptize them that they will receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps them to resist sin. Because as soon as they're baptized, you can rest assured the devil will hit them with the kitchen sink and the cutlery and the crockery and everything else as well. And that's just the way it is. And I have yet to find a person who hasn't been through that experience. Some of you may be able to agree with me on that. I'm not sure. That's that's the way it is. Ken, yeah. Yeah, look, that is absolutely so, Brinton. I, I remember very well uh, 25 years ago when I first went looking for the Lord, or actually he was looking for me. I wasn't looking for him. And he was looking for you, yes. Well, you actually did get together. And, you know, life for me was pretty good. Uh, I'm easy going person, didn't have too many problems, headaches, anything like that. But as soon as I turned to God, I tell you what, things just started coming out of the woodwork that caused me issues and problems. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? Because as a new a new person to the Lord, I wasn't expecting these things and I hadn't been told these things. and I didn't know the Bible at all. And I really wondered what was going on. And I think it's, it's really a wise thing today when you're speaking to new people that are, are coming to Christ that we do advise them, look, and you may not like this, but before you come to Jesus, you belong to devil. But as soon as you make a stand for the Lord, well, then the devil, he says, oh, well, I don't want to lose this person. So he creates all sorts of issues and problems that might steer you away in the early days. Ken, that's a very powerful comment um, because that's absolutely the way it was. I can still remember a young lady who I baptised years ago, um, she came to me about 12 months later because we continued our studies after she was baptised. And she said to me, Franklin, you know what you said to me about um, the devil would um, hit me very hard after baptism? And I said, yes, this is some 15 months after I baptised her. She said, that's exactly what did happen. Now, um, you can expect that. And I think realistically you have to... Um, not warn people, but you have to assure people that they will be hit very hard by the devil, but they have chosen by their public statement of being baptised, they have chosen to follow Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit will protect them from uh, the uh, machinations and from the attacks of the devil. Joe, It's not only... Um at baptism, I would say that every time, every time that I have made a decided change, you know, some that I'm going to change direction or I'm going to do this or, uh, you know, whenever a person wants to reconsecrate their life, wants to change, drop a bad habit or bad associations, whatever it might be, you will be hit with a similar kind of um, onslaught. Yes. You know, it will be made uncomfortable. And um, it's like Absolutely. all too easy, all too easy just to slip back into your old pattern of behavior. So I think the danger isn't just at baptism, but throughout our lives, whenever we take a positive step toward the Lord, there's someone fighting us every inch of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, Joe. No, I'm sorry. I just. Uh focused at that particular point on baptism, but I recognise that it applies right through the Christian life. Mm. Absolutely. Colossians 1 verse 29. Ken, maybe if you just give us a bit of the, shall we say, the background, because reading the text in isolation may not necessarily give us uh, the full, shall we say, impact of what Paul is saying here. Um, Just reading it as it stands could mean anything. 
So what do the previous verses talk about? What is Paul talking about? Remember this verse that you're about to read to us was written by Paul when he was in prison. It's called one of the prison epistles. He was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. So he was dictating this, no doubt, to a secretary who wrote it. But what do, what's the background, um, the context of it? Thanks. Well, basically, as you say, Paul's in prison. And, of course, as we uh, mentioned last week, he had a, an extremely difficult time in his life. And he is uh, sending letters and t- talking to the all his other followers about the labour that he is doing and uh, that he is uh, striving to do works which are uh, in him mightily. And perhaps they're thinking that, well, why is he in prison? Uh, Should he not be out of prison? Should the Lord not be making it easier for him? But as we read in Colossians 1.29, it says that to this end I also labour, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, the word labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. How yes. does this apply to us daily? Is it effort or focus that God wants from us or both? Now, I'd like also to read Colossians 1, 28, 29. Him we preach, mourning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So Paul's actually telling his uh, his followers or the followers of Christ what's actually going on and what they should be doing. So he's actually, in other words, he's, he's giving the gospel and calling people to repentance. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Uh, Will, you had a thought on this one. I think we mustn't forget that uh, we're talking about crucibles, as it yes, applies to our, our lesson today, um, I think, Brenton, we must not miss the fact that there is a sense of responsibility to overcoming sin. You know the words that are used there, laboring, striving. Yes. It's an unmistakable reminder here of determination, perseverance, and earnest endeavor. The Christian doesn't float through life just singing songs of grace and assurance <laughs> Uh, though that is part, of course, of the journey too. Mm. And mm. history is filled with accounts of those who did it hard to overcome and triumph over evil. The Apostle Paul is one. It's the fight of faith against the enemy of souls who goes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. I, I read a slogan on a church, notice yes. Yes. when I was in my team, <clears throat> and something I've never forgotten, it said, Pray to God in the storm, but keep on rowing. <laughs> I like that. You know, it's not I do always, like that. It's not always a rose-strewn pathway to win the prize. Let me quote a well-known hymn by a prolific hymn writer, uh, Isaac Watts. He asks the question, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease yes. while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? In this, is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? But then he goes on to say, Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil 
endure the pain, supported by thy word. That puts it all. That's powerful, isn't it? For me, that's yeah. powerful. Any other thoughts, panel, on the, on this particular one, Joe? I think it's important to remember that the role of the will, the willpower, the power to choose in this. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a role to play in choosing God each time I am offered offered an alternative, and the power to choose good and God is also empowered by God so that it gets stronger with use. Because otherwise, um, if I didn't have, you know, if I couldn't choose, if I just floated along and expected God to make the choices for me, well, then it would be just God manipulating me and it would be abusing his power. We have to remember that God will never override my freedom to choose, even if it's to my destruction. So. Yeah, the onus is on us to choose, to choose to do good. Eve had to choose in the Garden of Eden. Every Mm. one of um, the Bible characters that are portrayed in the Bible were given choices. They were. And and they chose, you know, right choices. Either rightly or wrongly. Mm. Yeah, and we saw the consequences played out in Scripture. Yeah. Mm. Does this suggest then that... um, this striving and the struggling and all the rest of it that we're talking about today um, and overcoming, do you think this plays out to a wider audience than just what's happening here on earth? What are your thoughts well, on that? Well, striving, striving Brenton, is a, a word that they uh, connotes, the, you know, the Olympics where the athletes it does. strive. <laughs> you know, so, yes. so here we are, we are to, you know, it doesn't, we just, you don't become an athlete by sitting mm. in a comfort chair. And so if we are to be victorious in this life, yeah. then there's obviously going to be some striving on out. Not that we're earning anything. We're not yeah. earning anything. We are yeah. just putting through effort, our own effort, and it's not gaining us any credits or merits with God. You know, we're not no. saving ourselves no. through works. No, there's no brownie a, points there. No. It's, <laughs> right. Mm, thank you, Joe. Ken, you had a thought for us. Yes, uh, we can know what is right and exercise our wills to do the right thing. But when we're under pressure, it can be very difficult to keep holding on to God and his promises. That's because we are weak and fearful. Therefore, one of the important strengths of the Christian is perseverance, the ability to keep going despite wanting to give up. I mean, we have all spoken basically of the challenges that come across us when we come to Jesus and we all get these things, but it is a question of that it is perseverance and we do need to keep going. Yeah. Look, one of the interesting things that uh, I don't know whether any of the other members of the panel have done, but I, ha- I have watched a couple of nights for a short period of time some of the Commonwealth Games. Now, earlier on this week, they had the, the one, the race that really interests me is the marathon. Um, I've entered a quarter marathon before, but I've never done a marathon. And it was really interesting to see the guy who finished fourth, who was an Australian. He didn't get a medal, but he's an electrician by trade. And uh, he said that the guys that finished ahead of him are professional athletes. This is what they do. They train during the week. He said they probably put 40 hours a week in in running, I put 40 hours a week in and working in my job. Then I have to go and do my training after that. And he said, I'm out sometimes running at 10.30 at night. 
what what is he demonstrating to me? He demonstrated to me that there's absolute commitment. There's an absolute focus and there's an absolute commitment. And I think he was only eight seconds behind the third placed runner who received a bronze medal. This is after running for 42.2 Ks. So I think, Joe, what you said about the Olympics, the same principle applies to the Commonwealth Games. When you listen to some of these athletes, you realise they have put absolutely everything into it. And I believe in the Christian life. After all, Paul talks about the Christian life, doesn't he, as being a, uh, what does he say? I fought a good fight. I finished the course. What's the course? He's using Olympic terms. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me at that day. Any other thoughts on this one before we move on to a statement of Peter's? What I would like to say um, here is that uh, as Christians, too often, and you may heard that expression that, um, you know, because Jesus died for us and he paid all the price for our sins, we just need to, you know, accept and all is fine. And mm. many Christians will say, you know, you don't need to worry to, or do too many things. Interesting that we are studying today under this uh, topic mm. struggling with all energy yes struggling with all energy and as you said about that athlete um, brenton he put extra effort of his life you know not just something which okay cruising through yes. christian life as you mentioned paul it's a fight and it's a not a fight of this world it's a fight in between good and evil, you know, the enemy of God, Satan and God and us all. How important it is to put at work all our energy to stay faithful and true to God in this warfare? Absolutely, Nick. Absolutely. Well, um, something has to undergird all of this. We've talked about struggling with all our might. We've talked about the need for a transformed heart, which Ken shared with us from Romans 12, that we need renewing of our mind. Joe pointed out to us various things that um, we need. We also recognise the deception of our own hearts. But in order for us to progress, something has to undergird all of this. I wondered if you'd share 1 Peter 1 verse 13 with us, please. Certainly. Before I read it, can I just mention in the context of what we've studied so far, you mentioned the athletics and Olympics. Yes, yes. After all is said and done, none of us, in all of our striving towards victory, earn glorious merit for our track record. That is true. This is what Nick has said. And yes, all those strivings are of no worth to earn us salvation. We may feel good about it, but the bank account is still empty. We need to understand that it's the merits of the life of the righteousness of Christ and only his righteousness that place us in the category of the saved. Well, before you read the text, though, just a thought. Does it suggest to us then that whilst the striving doesn't earn us merit, the striving indicates our sincerity in wanting to follow what God would have us to do. I think that's conclusive. Yeah. Okay, over to you. So let me read this text. Uh, The part of uh, after all of our striving, 
We're depending on something. And First Peter 1 verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see the little, the little key there? Yes. Fully upon the grace that is Fully to be brought to you. This is a wonderful gift, and it's something that we can, we'll strive and strive and strive, and we will sweat our way all the way to heaven and find out we've earned nothing by it. Grace uh, opens the gate of salvation to us. Okay, thank you. Any other thoughts on that one, folk? Jerry? Yeah, I was just thinking, um, if we have an understanding, even if it's an incomplete understanding of the, the, the enormity of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and, and the degree of love that he has for us, uh, it will become a desire for us to strive with all that we have to serve him and to say, Lord, how can I live for you? What can I do for you? And, um, you know, life is a struggle, and it's easy to to present yourself for service when things are going well. But, of course, that's not always the reality, is it? Uh, sometimes the, the road goes uphill, and, mm. um, and yeah. you know, you're hit with all kinds of uh, difficulties. And then the challenge is, of course, to, to, to keep that alive and well and, and to keep on saying, Lord, okay, this is what's happening, but you know what's happening. And uh, you've promised to be with me always and help me to deal with this issue and let us meet it together because you have promised to, to never to leave me or forsake me. So I just want to keep on working for you, keep on striving with all that I have, with all that you give me. And um, again, I think if you have a, a, an understanding or a vision, if you like, of of just how much God loves you and what he has done for you, personally, individually, uh, that will be continually your response. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. That's a good thought. Isn't it interesting, though, that in our world, the way we operate is if you teach, Jerry, you worked in um, business at one stage of the game and um, most of us have said, when a person is trained, what, what actually happens at the end of the training? They're basically put out on their own, aren't they, to do whatever um, it is that they've been trained for. But in the Christian life, there's never a point where we are put out on our own. There's never a point where God says, I've given you all I've got. Now get out there and do it. God says, you need my help all the time. You need to keep holding on to me all the time. It's just a thought that occurred to me, and I thought that's so true in the Christian life. We need God to hold our hand all the time, not just I've trained you, I've tested you, I've tried you, and away you go. See how you go. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't say that. He says, you need my help all time, but all the time. And Christ is always here to give us that help. It's quite a sobering thing that Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, it's a very sobering thing, indeed. Nick, I wondered if you would share with us from Matthew 5.29. It's a verse that uh, not only ourselves, but I believe all our listeners probably know fairly well. But every time I read this, I say exactly what does it mean. So I wondered if you could read the, the text for us, Nick, and maybe share with us 
a little bit about what your understanding of it means. Maybe by way of comparison, when you get down a little bit further, we might have a look at Genesis 3, verse 6, because um, I think uh, there is some connection, believe it or not, between the two verses. Yes, uh, Brenton and um, uh, panel. I believe this uh, passage in the Bible Many people looked at it and with kind of, you know, big questions, you know, what that means. Yes. In Matthew chapter uh, 5 and verse uh, 29, mm, it reads this. If your right eye cause you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Some other translation will say different word in regard to the hell, but it means the same. When you read this passage in the Bible, I believe that if we take it, that Jesus says literally to pluck your eye out, you will see most of the people blind today because uh, all of us, you know, we, we recognize that we are making mistakes and we are sinning and we do those things. But what that means when Jesus said in this way, so radically, you know, just consider that also in, in an Eastern religion, you know, they have different understanding of the, the spiritual eye, you know, and spiritual ears and all those things will apply in different ways. But actually, through the eye, you know, the eye is the light, if you like. Yes. And God invited us to be the light of the world. Very interesting, you know, Uh, which means that everything what we do, it's seen out there. You know, people see what we do. And God is inviting us also to, to consider how we live this life. Now, Brenton, maybe... If I could uh, just share with you a short um, statement here. Sure. Behind this, uh, this motive or attitude to point to the avenues by which sin gains entrance into life, the, the sensory nervous system, you know, mm-hmm. for the majority of, uh, you know, the strongest inducements to sin are those that reach the mind by the way of the optic nerve, the eye, the auditory nerve, and other sensory nerves, it's very important how we treat this exceptionally uh, precious member of the body, if you like, because through what we see, to what we look, and Jesus said in this regard in other parts, mm-hmm. for example, in regard to the adult, adultery, he said not only that uh, in the Bible it says not to commit adultery, but not to even look. Yes. Look at yeah. the woman with a, with the desire, right. you know, to mm-hmm. commit that adultery because you commit sin already. You know, through the eye, we commit many, many sins. And uh, Jesus is inviting us, if that causes you, if that causes you to sin, take away from you everything what your eyes can see. <laughs> you know, in other words, yeah. uh, if, uh, if a woman is a problem for you, 
you know, you remove yourself from that, move away mm. from that situation yeah. that you are not tempted. It's not to take your eye out, but to remove that thing which you, your eye is pondering upon. Good thought, Nick. Um, Job actually made a statement. Some of you know it. He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jesus is really reflecting on this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But Job is, uh, is talking about it earlier on. Any other comments on that one before we move on to our last section? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Okay, just briefly, um, I don't think God is or Jesus is advocating self-mutilation because no. even can a blind man sin? Can a blind man lust? I'm sure that he or, or she, um, because both are equally affected. But I think this is basically an admonition to guard the gateways to our soul, whether it be our ears, whether it be our eyes, that um, that Satan may not gain entry by through the senses. Good thought, Joe. Otherwise, we could become very one-eyed on the issue, couldn't we? <laughs> Which wouldn't be good. Okay, uh, Ken. I just wanted to uh, bring up something that uh, Nick said regarding the optic nerve, which, of course, is yes. the eye. Yes. And in Genesis 3, 6, we read, how did Satan tempt Eve? Uh. Did he use these avenues? Well, he certainly did. It's something we've often read. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, I'm sure many of the time uh, people have read this statement and not really thought about it, but uh, Nick brought it out so well in that to the optic nerve, the auditory serve, and it's our sensory nerves that bring all these these things into play. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Uh, Will, you had a thought for us as well. I think Joe put it fine, put it well. She did. It needs to be, we, it's a figure, it's figurative. Uh, I think each one of us have to endure some pruning to improve our fruit, improve the fruit. I, I recall that Origen, an early church father, uh, who lived about 254 AD, has certainly been controversial. His life has been controversial. You know, he, he's reported self-mutilation. In response to Matthew 19, verse 12, he, he responded by, well, let the text say it all. For, there, yeah. there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And um, <clears throat> at the time he was condemned um, because it was a drastic misinterpretation of the text. Don't, this is all figurative. I recall that Samson said to his parents, for example, just get her for me because she pleases me. That's right. His parents wanted to dissuade him from this hasty course. But Samson, Samson was giving in to seductive charms and visual stimulation. He liked what he saw. And nothing else was going to And he wanted it, and he wanted it now, Will. Absolutely so. So reminiscent of our current generation in many respects, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the last aspects that we're going to actually discuss today is the issue of perseverance. A good example of that is found in Genesis 32. Joe, there are a couple of verses. I mean, it would be easy to read the whole chapter if we had another hour, which we don't. 
Uh, but if you could perhaps share a few verses with us and give us a bit of a summary of your take on why Jacob, number one, found himself in this situation and what he actually did about it. Certainly. Okay, now it's important to remember that in this situation, Jacob was going home and um, he had after brought his family period, after, after many years, yeah, after many yeah, years. Right. He had not spoken or heard from Esau, whom he had cheated from a, of a birthright. He was on his way and he hears that there are that Esau is coming to meet him and he's got 400 fighting men basically with him which is basically a small army in those days, perhaps a large army in those days. And so he is terribly, terribly afraid. And so he wrestles with God. He, he, he does He does everything that he can to prevent um, basically annihilation. And so yes. he, take, he he sends out gifts and he sends people in stages and, yes. um, you know, and, of course, he gets to the very last bit, you know, and he's really getting very, he's getting afraid. And we know that there is a, there is a moment when he meets someone in the dark who he thinks is an assassin and an, a, a struggle ensues. And I'm just going to look it up here. So Jacob was left alone, starting in verse 24 of chapter 32, Genesis. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till, till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Now, we know from our previous discussions that the man was Jesus himself. Correct. But Jacob yeah. replied, mm. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, well, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And I wonder if he was ashamed to utter it, you know, the supplanter. Yes. And and the yes. man said, your name will no longer be the supplanter, no longer Jacob, but Israel, an overcomer, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Anyway, then, of course, we hear that uh, he was blessed and Jacob called this place Peniel, saying it was because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared and of course thereafter he limped and when he came to meet his brother he was limping there are some important points that could be drawn from here and that is that before Jacob could be delivered from the hand of his brother he had to be delivered from his own self-will and self-reliance it is evident that as soon as he felt that he must fall, he grasped the other man, and this, this, this is what Spurgeon says, with a kind of death grip that would not let him go. Now, in his weakness, he will prevail. While he was so strong, he won not the blessing, but when he became utter weakness, then he did conquer. Yes. So we have Jacob who is able to struggle probably for some time, and he's a fit, healthy man suddenly felt his weakness when his hip went. And so then he's clinging to the other man because without that, you know, he was probably in agony and would, would have, have fallen to the ground. Yeah. So I guess there's, this is a place where every Christian must find themselves, where we cannot add a jot or tittle to ourselves. 
you know, of ourselves to our salvation, mm. our strength, not a microgram, but it is when we realize our own weakness and insufficiency that we too can be like Jacob. When we fully come to rely, rely on Jesus for our strength, that that's when we can become victorious in him. So while Jacob struggled, while he mm. struggled, he did not receive the blessing. It was when he clung in desperation, knowing his full weakness, that, you know, he said, I will not let you go. Now, Jesus could have just shrugged him off. He was, he was in Easily. pain. He was yes. barely hanging on. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I think this is the same God desires to bless us, but I think our self-sufficiency, our pride, our strength, mm. um, all the things that we value about ourselves sometimes get in the way. And so, um, yeah. So I guess um, this was a place of intense pleading with God, a place of seeing the face of God and a place of conscious weakness that empowered I him. So. I believe so. I was just thinking that was a very interesting uh, passage that Joe just read regarding. Uh, it is, isn't it? <laughs> hanging on um, to, to Jesus uh, for his life just about. And I think it applies very much with us today because we often have pain and tragedy and things come into our life. And in a way, we really absolutely need to hold on to the Lord and our faith in those really, really difficult times. And I'm sure if we can get through that, there will be blessings ahead. But at the time, it can seem incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, this is a statement here that I wanted to share, Joe. It fits in pretty well with what you were saying because this statement was made to a lady who was really struggling in the Christian life with doubt. I think we've all been there at times, and it says this, The message from God to me for you is this, He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Then John 6.37 is quoted, If you have nothing else to plead before God, but this one promise from your Lord and Saviour, you have the assurance that you will never, never be turned away. It may seem like you are resting your faith on a single promise. Cling to that promise and you are safe. Present this assurance to Jesus and you are as safe as though inside the city of God. Isn't that a powerful statement? Wonderful. That is a really, really powerful statement. And I think it's a, a good takeaway message that we can uh, take today. I was thinking it's a wonderful assurance and promise, and by the aid of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of our mind, we can have victory. But then in closing our study for today, I wanted to share one more text from one of my very favourite epistles, Philippians, for it is God that worketh in you. Notice this, to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Can't we thank God for his powerful promises? I believe we can. And my appeal to us as a panel and also to those who are listening, please, folk, take time each day to surrender your will to him, that he may accomplish the refining process in your lives. Joe, I wondered if you would close with prayer for us, please. Certainly. Father, you know we are all weak. We are all naturally drawn to the wrong things. Please be with each member of the panel and all who are listening in. We are all your children. We have the same problems and long for power to say no to habits and thoughts that are hurting us and others around us. We know that you are there for us. 
Yes. Help us to find the answers in your word and to cling to you and to your promises that you will never leave nor forsake us, that you will give us new hearts if we ask. So please help us to be the people you want us to be, the people we desperately want to be. In yes, Jesus' Lord. name, mm-hmm. amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, everybody. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. Beautiful study. To be able to realize that uh, we are indeed in this um, struggle, the, the spiritual war, let's fight with all our energy and not to give up easily. And this is maybe a temptation more for people like us here in the Western world. When we see some struggles coming up, we are tempted to you know, to question and maybe even give up a bit easily. I'll encourage you, my dear listener, to give it all to the Lord because he is victorious. He won the battle and we are promised that we'll be victorious in him. Thank you for joining us today. I'll invite you to come back again with us next time when we are going to look at the other good subject, indestructible hope. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.